Hey, well, good morning, Grace Church of the Valley. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to thank uh, the worship team for um, Lake Boys and the worship team for leading us this morning in worship. Uh, you know, nothing like coming to a church where the, the songs are, have some content and uh, they kind of bless your soul as you think of the words. And so thank you for taking us uh, this morning to, to that place of worship and ex- exaltation of God. It's good to see you all here this morning. I feel like I'm, I'm back in my home church. We have uh, a church very similar to this in size, I would say, about two, 250 people that come and go from time to time, um, and a lot of young families, so it's sweet to come in this morning and be amongst uh, children as well. My name's uh, Andy Woodfield, as, as you've seen there on your bulletin, and I've been uh, pastoring Hickman Community Church for eight years and I, can't, I just come this morning, I bring greetings from the elders at Hickman Church. They, the church there uh, loves Scott. Scott's been involved in ministry with us, and so this is kind of a, a, a chance to be a blessing back to him and, and uh, minister amongst you. I'm humbled, by the way, to be here. I just, you know, 20, 25 years ago when I first met Scott, I remember sitting and listening to this guy, and Shay, you did a good imitation, pretty, pretty good. Um, I listened to this guy, and I, I was a youth pastoring at the time, and I thought, man, I mean, this guy can, can spit it out. I mean, he can say 30,000 words in a minute. I mean, it was just boom, you know? And I thought, wow, I just, I just was an awed, not just so much by his presentation, but by the, by the understanding he had of the Word of God. And I come from a, a very... Um, Arminian background, and uh, church, those of you who understand church history will understand that, but very weak gospel, very man-centered gospel, and, and Scott and Rick and some of the guys from Grace Community Church would come out to New Zealand, and, and they would just minister to us, and we had a youth conference, about 700 young people would come, and, and it, became, it became something totally different because there was such a hunger for the Word of God, for the truth of God's Word in New Zealand, and I'm indebted to Scott and to Rick and to Kerry Hardy, and to Jerry Rag and to men from Grace Community Church who came out year after year after year. They trained me. They taught me. And so in many ways, you're, you're listening this morning to uh, a man who's been mentored by your pastor, just as you're being mentored. And I pray, as, as Shay prayed this morning, I pray that out of this congregation will come some people who will say, enough, there's a world of people out there, we've got to go, we've got to take the gospel and go and make disciples of all nations. Because that's the passion, that's the mission, that's what we've been called to as uh, we come um, and celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Well, I want to go ahead and pray for us as we uh, begin to this time of worship and, and around the Word of God. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for every soul that's here this morning. They are precious to you. You have drawn them here by your sovereign grace. And Father, you have a word to minister to their heart this morning. God, would you do what I can't do? Father, would you minister your word into the very innermost being of our souls? Would it be this morning that your word would be living and powerful and active and sharper than a a two-edged sword, Lord? Would you divide the thoughts and discern the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts and, and divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow this morning? Father, would you do a spiritual work here today? Oh God, we beg of you. Because Lord, unless you visit us, unless you work in us, unless your spirit moves in us, we, Father, are doing this in absolute vanity this morning. And it would be pointless. Just pointless. And so God, we know you're alive. We know that you're at work. We know that you're changing lives. We know that you're sanctifying your people. And we ask this morning, sanctify us by the word of truth that we may declare Jesus Christ to be the only reason for our existence. And so we praise Him, we exalt Him, and we come to Your Word humbly this morning, uh, seeking Your face. And it's in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, identity theft is an international problem, is it not? It's, it's of gigantic proportions. It is, it is the fastest growing crime in America with over 9.9 million incidents, netting 15 to 20 billion dollars a year. Uh, however, while identity theft 
is rapidly increasing, there is another problem in the area of identity, a problem relating to our own identities that is of even greater proportions than what we see happening in the criminal element. There is an identity crisis in America today, and the crisis relates to the question, who am I? Who am I? Can you answer that question this morning? The most basic and fundamental question, this question is asked by every human being somewhere in their life. Who am I? We look for identity. We search for identity. We are, uh, we are a people. We are a nation that seeks out identity. We want to be known for something. We want to be uh, known to be somebody. Now, my question to you this morning is, how would you answer that question? Who am I? Perhaps you might answer the question by giving your full name. In my case, I would say I'm Andy Robert Woodfield. And yet this question goes much deeper than your family name. Maybe you'd answer uh, along these lines. You might answer along family lines. You might say, well, I have this heritage. I'm I'm Scottish or I'm Spanish or, or I'm Irish or, you know, whatever else you blame for who you are today. Maybe your answer might be more along your accomplishments, what you've accomplished in life, your, your body even. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, I'm an athletic person, or I'm a smart person, or I'm intelligent. I, I don't know how you'd answer this question. Maybe you'd point to the fact that you have children, I'm the father of children, or I'm a husband of a wife. Maybe you talk, talk about your education or your spouse and all of these things, although they're appropriate definitions, they're not, they're not really related to what uh, your identity is or who you are. The problem with all of these markers of identity that I've just mentioned is that every one of those is temporary. They're all temporary. Whereas you, the real you, is eternal. The Bible says God has set eternity in our hearts. We have an eternal destiny. And all of those things that I've mentioned, they're just just temporal. They're here for a while and they're passing away. And yet your life, you, the real you, isn't. The real you will live on forever. You see, death is simply the doorway, isn't it, to eternity. And what we need, beloved, this morning is an identity that is much greater than time itself if we are to know who we really are. Now, the culture we live in has an answer to this question, does it not? The question, who am I? It says this. This is our culture. This is Western culture. This is their answer. Their answer is, you are a cosmic accident. You're a mistake of random evolutionary processes. You are a glorified animal. You're the result of meaningless natural selection. There you have it. That's what our culture thinks of us. There's no rhyme, they say. There's no reason. There's no purpose for life, for who you are. You're a meaningless spot on the unfolding fabric of eternal random chance. It's pathetic. It's a pathetic view of humanity. And yet this is the reality of an evolutionary-based culture, a culture that denies the existence of God a culture that denies that we have been created in the image and likeness of God. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and saying, yeah, well, I feel like that. I feel like I'm meaningless. I feel like my life is purposeless. I I, I don't know who I am. I don't really understand this question or have a good answer for it. Well, thankfully, we don't have to drink the Kool-Aid of American or Western culture and its definitions of humanity, we've been given in the Scriptures a very different definition. And I'm glad you're here this morning to hear what God says about who you are. Because most of you here today, I believe, would be professing Christians. I'm going to focus in on you this morning, and I'm going to ask this question, who am I, in the context of what it means to be a Christian. And the motivation of this message is very simple. My motivation this morning is simply is simply to address the issue that if you don't know who you are as a Christian, then how do you know how to act? How do you know how to live? How do you know how to please God?
This is a familiar verse to all of us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen, you will never figure out who you are until you first discover who Jesus Christ is and what it means to be in Christ. So for those of you who maybe don't claim to be a Christian, I want you to listen to this message carefully because this message is defining who a Christian is, but the doorway, the entrance into understanding who you are is Jesus Christ. There is no other person on this planet has ever walked on this planet. There's no other person you can come to uh, that will, that will address and, and, and deal with this question the way Jesus can. He is unique. The Bible declares Jesus Christ to be the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is, Jesus is, the exact representation of God. So if you want to know who you are as a Christian in human flesh, then you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to be in him. The Bible also says, I am created by God and in his image and his likeness. Genesis 1, 26. I'm not the result of random purpose, processes. The Bible says that whether I'm tall, uh, whether I'm short, whether I'm beautiful, whether I'm less beautiful, let's put it that way, um, whether my body functions perfectly or I'm severely deformed as a Christian, as one who's in Christ, that's what a Christian is, one who's in Christ, I am His crowning glory. As a Christian, your identity is bound up in belonging to or being united, therefore, to Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God. In fact, knowing Him is the idea here. To know Him, to be in relationship with Him. And by the way, that's what John 17 says eternal life is. This is eternal life that men may know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You've sent. This is why Paul writes, whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so I may gain Christ. Well, the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme of in Christ. It's one of his favorite statements and he loves to define what it means to be a Christian. And so we want to take our Bibles this morning and go to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read a passage where the Apostle Paul truly gives us a fantastic definition here of the identity of a Christian. Ephesians chapter 1. And we want to pick it up in verse 3 and read through verse 14. Read along with me. Uh, it's from the NASB. It's up here if you don't have an NASB on the... Uh, on the big screen here. Ephesians chapter 1, we're reading from verse 3 through verse 14. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to administration suitable for the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now, did you notice as we read through that, 
the repetition and the focus on the person of Jesus Christ. We see it in verse, in verse 3, in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, in Him, chosen in Him. Verse 5, sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, uh, beloved in Him. In Him we have redemption. Verse 9, in Him with a view and administration suitable to fullness of times. And verse 10, all things in Christ, things in heavens, things on the earth. In Him, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, in Christ, in Him, uh, His will. Uh, verse 13, in Him you also, after listening to the message. In Him, sorry, verse 13 again with the Holy Spirit of promise. Just this repetition and this focus on Jesus Christ. Everything has to do with Him. And so I want to look at the identifying marks of what it means to be in union with Christ. And as I do that, we're going to ask the question, who am I in relation to those marks? So the first mark that we have, we're going to look at 10 identifying marks from this passage. We're going to go very fast. I, I, I think it took me about 10 weeks to preach through this normally, so we're just going to do an overview here. But stay with me, because I want you to see this, uh, because at the end of this message, there is a call, uh, and I think the call is, is, is appropriate for you and for me as believers and for unbelievers here this morning. But we're asking, who are you really? Ten identifying marks. The first is this. You are identified by God's blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Who am I? You are. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian here this morning, you are the most blessed of people in this world. You are the most blessed of people. Why? Because the blessings that God has given to you are eternal blessings. They can never perish, spoil, or fade. Paul's not talking here about temporal blessings. Although we certainly have those, even as believers, there's certain blessings that come to our life from obedience and walking rightly with the Lord. I understand that, but that's not what Paul's focused on here. He's talking about blessings that come from, as it says here, spiritual blessings from heavenly places that are in Christ. What are these blessings? What are these, some of these blessings that flow from God's kingdom? They are blessings such as regeneration, that we've been brought from death to life. They are blessings of faith. They are blessings of the gift of repentance, of justification, of sanctification. They are the blessings of God's unconditional love towards us every moment of the day. They are the blessings of fullness of joy, a peace that passes understanding. Uh, the blessing of spiritual life, a new creation. Uh, ours, ours is a sharing in the divine nature and authority of Christ. We are ears and joint ears with all that's been given to Jesus Christ. We partake daily and, for, and will for all eternity embrace these blessings in the context of an intimate love relationship with the God of the universe. We are blessed to be called the bride of Jesus Christ. He's coming back by the way. Are you ready? You ready to meet him? Have you got a, a fullness of heart towards him? You are the most blessed people on the planet. Secondly, you're identified here by God's choice. Who are you, believer? Who are you, dear believer? You are chosen. You are a chosen one. That's not a line out of a sci-fi movie. This is a personal choosing and electing by God, predetermined in Christ, of a people for God's own possession. A people that God is collectively bringing together and building into this thing that the Bible calls a holy temple. And a temple is simply the dwelling place of God. God dwells not in buildings, but He dwells in the hearts and the lives of those whom He has chosen. You're chosen. And it's interesting, it says you were chosen here. When did that happen? Before the foundation of the world. Before you're even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. 
God chose you in His infinite knowledge to be part of His redemptive plan. God willed to have you as one of His children. And this is only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That's right. Jesus Christ died on your behalf. God willed that His Son would come and give His life so that we, in His will, might be called and chosen and built into this beautiful body called the church. God's calling of us and His choice of us was that we would be set apart to Him. That's what the word holy means, that we would be wholly set apart to God from And he did this from the foundation of the world that would be set apart from that world, blameless and upright in the way that we live. This is not some cold, calculating obedience to some dead law, but it is an obedience that's lived out, notice here, before God. We are chosen before God. Him before God. That speaks to relationship. God chose us before Him. And every genuine believer pursues that relationship with God, the God who is holy, and therefore to have relationship with God, we pursue that which is true of God. We pursue holiness. We pursue righteousness. We pursue goodness. We pursue truth. Because all of those things are true of God. We are motivated in all of that to please our Creator, to please our Redeemer who loved us even to death. Thirdly, thirdly, you are identified by God's name. Verse 5, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Who am I? Who am I? You are one of God's precious adopted children. This means that God is now my father by right of adoption. You are adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, he gave the rights to be called the children of God. And I'm sure like, you, like me, many of you have read accounts of children whose lives felt con- in, totally completed when at last they were adopted and brought into a loving family and had a father that they could call dad. Who doesn't want a dad's unconditional love? Especially if you've felt the pain of not belonging to anyone or anywhere. I had the privilege when I was in LA doing training at Master's Seminary of sitting in Uh, a number of family courts with with a young family that we had counseled and ministered to. And and just sitting there and listening to the judge declare the children that they had fostered to now be their children. And in the declaration, the judge would read their name with their, their first name with the last name of the father and the mother. The family name was now theirs by legal decree. It's the same for us as, as, as Christians. We don't make ourselves Christians. We don't walk into God's court of law and God is the judge and say to the, the judge, listen, I want to belong to your family, so you better make your name my name. It's not how it works. God woos us. God calls us. God draws us. If the love of God doesn't draw you, if the, the death of Christ doesn't impact you, if the knowledge that God has chosen you before the foundation of the world doesn't move your heart, then nothing in this world will. Nothing. God loves you. And as God draws us and woos us at the right time, regenerates us by His Spirit, at that point He declares us to be His sons and his daughters. What are the benefits of adoption? Well, there are many. Absolute, unconditional acceptance. I want you to to go back with me to Romans chapter 8. Just pick up a couple of things here. So think about adoption because it's so precious. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, speaking to believers, to Christians, you 
Uh, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Uh, this is what the Spirit of God does in us because we understand when God declares us to be His children, uh, there, this isn't a call to slavery. This is a call to freedom from slavery. We're, we once were slaves to the God of this world. We were slaves to our flesh. We were slaves to sin. But God in the adopting process brings us out of that slavery to Himself so that we can serve Him. See, I, I, I mean, for many of you, I can remember a time in my life where I wanted to serve the Lord. And boy, did I try. I tried as much as I could, but you know what? It nearly drove me crazy. Because the more I strove to be righteous, the more I, I worked at trying to be the man that I knew the Scriptures said I should be, the more I realized how sinful and depraved and far away from God I was. In fact, I had to learn this principle. that The Bible says that before Christ comes and regenerates us by His Spirit, we are in bondage to sin. In other words, we're sitting on death row and there is no way out but through Christ. You can't just walk out of death row. You're in bondage. You're under condemnation. The judgment of God has rightly fallen upon us. But through adoption, God reaches out and He opens that prison door and He sets us free and He welcomes us into His family and the spirit that He puts inside, inside us causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Is He your, your Father? Is He your Heavenly Father? Is He the one that you identify your life with? Adoption doesn't just come with absolute unconditional acceptance, but it also comes with a guaranteed likeness. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, which we should be called children of God, and we are... Uh, we are children of God because, and it goes on to say, we shall be like Him. We will be like Him. If you're His child, you'll walk like Him, you'll talk like, like Him, you'll think like Him, you'll love like Him, you'll do, you'll do as God does in this world because that's what children do. You all, a lot of you have kids here and, and, and people look on and they watch your son walking by you and, and your son has the same gait you have. He has the same swagger. He, he, he dresses the same. He, he, he just he, he imitates you in every way he possibly can. It's what sons do to their fathers. Mothers do to their, uh, uh, daughters do to their mothers. Not only are we uh, in adoption, are we benefited with this absolute unconditional acceptance it's guaranteed likeness, but we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, or heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. That's mind-blowing to me. That this wretched, rotten, sinful, corrupt human being who resisted God, who offended a holy God, who, who, who I remember standing on a mountaintop in my youth, so angry at God, so angry at the world, so angry at my parents, and I remember standing on the top of this mountain and shaking my fist at God and screaming angrily at Him. If anyone in this world deserved to be struck down and and separated from God's kingdom forever, it was this man that's standing before you today. But God in His mercy and God in His grace, His loving kindness reached out and drew me to Himself. And, and, and He didn't, didn't just bring me in the back door and, and make me a slave. He brought me into His house and sat me at His table and, 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 and He put a spread before me of blessing and identity and beauty and, and all of the things that make my life what it is today. There's no greater circle of love than than the, the love of the Heavenly Father. And, and to call God our Father is precious, beloved, beyond words. 
to hear and experience our Heavenly Father's love as He sought us and found us and drew us to Himself and transformed us and and healed our broken hearts and restored us back to Himself and gave us a new heart and a new mind and and new desires and new affections and a new direction as you come into this this love relationship with God. It's just like... The grass turns greener and the sky turns bluer. There's a wow factor to that, and we should never lose that. It's not just a past event. It's a present reality. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're looking back as I'm talking, you're looking the wrong direction. Look look, look at who you are right now. You You are adopted into the family of God. You bear God's name this morning, if you've bent the knee, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, acknowledged that He has the right to rule and reign over your life and repented of your sin, then you are His children. There's no greater family to belong to. Fourthly, verse 6, you're identified by God's grace. You're identified by God's grace. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. He's done all of this to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Who are you? You are a grace-filled, God-exalting person. Because the grace of God produces in us a hunger and thirst to live godly and righteous lives while we look for the blessed appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are many who seek to praise other men who seek to praise other men as a means of gaining better positions or more advantages in this life. But the believer, the believer has already been given the greatest position, the greatest advantage, and the greatest blessing possible. And, and look at this text. It says it was freely, verse 6, freely bestowed upon us. There's no strings attached to this gift of God's grace. God set His love and poured out His grace on us. It was not for anything that we had done. We were undeserving of such glorious, undefiled grace. And yet He raised us up with Christ, and He seated us with Him in heavenly places. Listen, listen carefully to the extent of His grace. Ephesians 2 says it this way, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the Spirit that's now working in the Son's of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, and don't you love those buts in the Bible, but God, God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, uh, uh, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we who possess such surpassing riches of grace and kindness can do none other then praise God. This is who we are. Well, fifthly, Paul goes on. He wants us to understand uh, our identity and who we are. And he identifies us in verse 7 by God's mercy. You're identified by God's mercy, verses 7 and the first part of verse 8. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Who am I? Who am I? You are one who has been mercifully bought with the precious blood of Christ, having been forgiven the debt of your sins. As I said before, I was once sold into slavery to sin, and I bore the yoke of that slavery. I served the world, I served the flesh, and I served the devil. But I've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. I've been redeemed from the slave market in which I once lived and could not get out of. I've been delivered from a lifestyle of sin uh, and corruption to a lifestyle of truthfulness, holiness, purity, and growth and blessing. Lifestyle of liberty. Liberty to serve God 
Liberty to be loved by God. Liberty to do what pleases Him, to be a worshiper of Him. Lust, fear, and death no longer control my decisions. I am blessed with a new life, a life filled with the unrelenting mercies of God. And beloved, His mercies are new every morning. When you woke up this morning, uh, did, you, did you thank Him for His mercies today? Did you thank Him for His faithfulness? Were you conscious of the fact that today is a new day and in this day God is pouring out His mercies upon you regardless of what yesterday was? God continues to bless us. The Lord's love and kindness indeed never ceases for His compassions, His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 23 says, Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all His works. Isn't it exciting to wake up and not have to think about, oh, today, am I going to manage to keep God on my side? Am I going to manage to gain, keep His favor with me? Maybe if I, if I just strive harder to keep the Lord? It's just so, it's so self-condemning and it's so, it's so corrupting because you can't keep the law. It's impossible. And all the law does is condemn you and condemn you and condemn you until like the Apostle Paul, you cry out, a wretched man that I am who can deliver me from this body of death. And what's the answer to that? Thanks be to God through who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are identified by God's mercy. We have been mercifully bought. Sixthly, you are identified by God's will, by God's will. It says, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Christ. Who am I? You are one who knows the will of God. Uh, You now understand that what is important in this life is God's will and the fulfillment of that will through you. It's, it's your life now exists for His will, not your will. For His purpose, not your purpose. Now, God's will is not elusive. It's not hard to find. It, it's, it's not, you don't have to go turning rocks to find it or climbing you know, half dome. And you don't have to do that stuff to find God's will. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up. God has given us His will, and it's found in the Word of God, right here in the Scriptures. But the overarching, the overarching will of God for your life and my life is that we might be conformed into the likeness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might be like Him, Romans eight twenty eight and 29. A quick survey of the Scriptures tell us that it's God's will that none should perish. And so obviously, God's will for our life is that we evangelize the lost, 2 Peter 2, 9. It's God's will that you be under the control of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, that you're led by the Spirit. You make decisions based on the indwelling presence and instruction and illumination of the Spirit versus uh, the flesh and versus your own selfish desires. It's God's will that you be pure, that you be holy, be sanctified, 1 Thessalonians 4.3-7. It's God's will that we live in submission to authorities, that we don't buck the system. Uh, that we live at peace with all men as far as is possible with us. First Peter 2, 3 through 15. It's God's will that we suffer for His name's sake. First Peter 3, 17. We're to arm ourselves. We're to get ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. Uh, it's God's will that you do whatever you want to do once you've come to that place. Uh, John MacArthur said, in giving this list, he said, listen, once you get to this point and you are surrendered to the will of God and the purpose of God in your life, you can go and do what you want to do. Why? Because God puts the desires in your heart to do that which pleases Him. We need to pray for that. We need to, we need to seek God for that. We need to study His Word for that. We need to come and draw near to God and be lifted up by God so that our desires are His desires. Seventh, the seventh identification mark here is that uh, you are identified by God's rule. Verse 10, 
verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up uh, of all things in Christ, things in heavens, in the heavens and things on the earth. Who am I? I am a subject of Christ's kingdom rule in my life. I am a subject of Christ's kingdom. Although Jesus is not currently ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of this world, that in no way negates the fact that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he is in the business right now of building his kingdom, and that he is calling people from every tribe, kindred, and tongue together, and he's bringing us together in this body called the church. And one day, we will rule and reign with him. We are a heavenly-minded people. We seek a kingdom that's not built with human hands, but whose architect and whose foundation is God. Our home and our inheritance is in heaven. Jesus said to his disciples as he was about to leave this world, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. There's a certain administration that's going on right now under Christ's kingdom rule, and that is he is administering this world in the sense that he is offering forgiveness to every man, woman, boy, and girl who will come in saving faith to him and he is drawing people to himself that's how he's administering his kingdom right now and there's a day coming when he will pour out his wrath upon this this earth he will judge the nations of this world he will redeem the nation of israel he will establish that nation as a ruling nation under his headship just as he establishes us individually under his headship He is King of Kings. Beloved, we are rich in Christ. We have no longing for the things of this world. We have no need of the things of this world. We need Christ and Him alone. He'll take care of the rest. If you have Him, you have what's needed. Number nine, you are identified by God's glory. Verse 12, you're identified by God's glory. It says to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Who am I? I am one who speaks the praises of God's glory because of the hope that I have in Christ. God has put a new song in our mouths, a song of praise to our God, and many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 43 says, That's why we gather here every week. (laughs) I've been trying to communicate with my church over the last few months that, that, you know, when you come to church, so often you think, oh, I'm just coming. I'm coming to, 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 you know, give my worship. I'm coming to give my tithe and I'm giving up my time and and, and I'm I'm just coming to kind of do what I should do. That's not, that's not what church is. Yes, there's a, there's a part in which we give and sacrifice and, and lay ourselves down. But listen, that's nothing compared with what God gives us. When you come and gather together as the body of Christ, you are ministered to, you are blessed. Your heart and soul should be lifted up as the, the music is sung and, and as, as the preaching is preached. There's a, there's a sense in which God is blessing you. God loves you. God wants to pour out His blessing upon you. He wants you to be a people of glory. A people of glory. Some of us look like we're in the winter months as you drive down the 99 and see all the trees and there's no blossom and there's no green leaves. And as Christians, sometimes we look like that. And that's really sad because we should be uh, continually, continually bearing fruit to the glory of God. We should be continually in full blossom, as it were. Always producing, always giving glory to God. In fact, the Hebrews, the writer to the book to the Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 13, 15, he says, Through Christ we are continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. We are God's primary display of glory upon the earth. 
Yes, His glory is seen in the heavens. Yes, the heavens declare His glory and the skies proclaim His handiwork. But on the earth, you, you, church, Grace Church of the Valley, you are God's primary display of His glory. Lastly, you are identified by God's seal, verses 13 and 14. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit as one sealed and pledged to God. Who are you? You are a sealed one. You are a pledged one. And the idea of sealing and pledging here uh, goes back to official marks of identification and authority. Authority. You have been set apart. You have been identified. You are like a letter or a contract or a document with an official mark upon it. And the mark is God's mark. And you are marked by the Spirit of God. And with this, 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 this pledge that he mentions here, there is a, a security and an authenticity and an ownership and an authority that flows out of our lives. We're not just uh, the son of and name your father or your mother. We are the children of God and we are sealed and we are marked by the Spirit of God. And therefore, when the Spirit of God works in us and, and transforms us and sanctifies us, that seal becomes obvious to the world around us and to us. And it should be an encouragement to you. You should be able to look back on your life and say, God is growing me. Uh, there's evidence that the Spirit of God is in my life. There is less, less anger now and more love. There is, there is less impatience now and there's more, there's more trusting in God. There, there's less forcing things to happen and, less, and more waiting upon God and watching Him produce what He wants with my life. Who am I? You are the church. You are Christ's church, beloved. You are the most blessed people on the planet. You are individually chosen by God. You are a precious blood-bought child of God. You are a hymn of praise to the glory of God's grace. You are lavished with the grace of God's redemption and forgiveness. You know God's will. You live under God's kingdom rule. You are one who has a future inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, reserved in heaven for you. You are filled with the hope of the glory of God. You are sealed and secured by the King Himself through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you are a child of God. This is what a Christian is. A Christian isn't someone who prayed a prayer uh, 10 years ago and is depending on that prayer as the, as, as the basis for their salvation. No, a Christian depends on Christ. You are in Christ. And all of these realities are yours and you live in them and you breathe them and you work these things out in your life. That's what gives you the courage, isn't it? As you, as you meet people, as you meet strangers, to speak to them about the Lord. Last night as Barb and I arrived and we stayed in the hotel down here, there's a new guy at the desk. We've stayed here before and there was a new guy and I just began to talk to him. I invited him to church this morning. And I, and I saw this guy just kind of transform before my eyes because here's a guy, I was just another customer. But all of a sudden, by the Spirit of God in me, as I, was, as I was being stirred to speak to him about the Lord, here's this man now realizing, hey, this guy is not just a customer. This guy has something that motivates him to get engage me and to talk about my life and to talk about God and to talk about heaven and hell and, 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 and to call me to consider who I am and where I'm going. That's what makes us. That's who we are. Ah, well, I said I was going to finish by pointing you to something very important here. You see, this text in Ephesians 1 has a repetitive refrain in it, and that refrain is to the praise of His glory, or to the praise of the glory of His grace. 
We see it in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. We see it in verse 12, to the praise of His glory. We see it again at the end of verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Beloved, we are called to be worshipers of God. Who am I? I am a worshiper of God. Can you say that this morning? Can you honestly, as you think through these 10 things, can you say, that's who I am? I am, with all of these, now a worshiper of God. And what that means is that you hallow, that you honor, that you revere God. That your life is lived to His praise and to His honor and to His glory. Can you say that this morning? If you can't, then I would appeal to you to come in faith and repentance to the cross of Christ and to experience the saving work of Jesus Christ in your life, to experience His mercy as He forgives your sin, as you confess that sin and the sins of your life, to come to Him and to cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Would you do that? So that you can be who God designed you to be, a worshiper to the praise of His glory. I wouldn't be here today, I want you, I'm going to finish with this, but I would not be here today personally if it were not for this reality. I was saved the day I was about to commit suicide. I was in the process. And what God did that day was He showed me my desperate need of a Savior. He showed me that what I thought was sin was only the surface. He gave me a view, a glimpse into my own depraved heart, and He showed me that indeed I am a wretched man, a worm, and no man, as the Scripture says. I was not worthy of anything but His judgment, and under that, 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 that all-seeing eye of God, under that exposure, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, everything being laid bare before God, as I began to realize every sin, every a- evil attitude, every sinful thought, every lust, it was all just unpiling before me. And I remember in the midst of this, just feeling like I was drowning in my own sin, in the muck and the mire of my own sin. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, If you can take this scum, this broken piece of garbage, and use it for your glory, I surrender. I'm yours. I give in. That was my saving prayer. (laughs) That was all I prayed. I don't depend on that prayer, but I depend on the one who came that day and healed my heart and gave me an understanding of the greatness of his love, his compassion, and his mercy. A God who has empowered my life, enabled me to stand up that day and go and put things right that have been wrong for many years. To go and confess my sin to people, to humble myself, to be His servant. And for 34 years, I understand what it means that God saved me for the praise of His glory. You can have that too, beloved. You can have that too. Maybe you're just visiting here this morning. You don't know me from Adam. That's okay. But God knows you. And He wants you to know Him. That's what this message is ultimately all about. To know Him is to know who you are and to know why He created you. And there's nothing will bring greater satisfaction and wholeness in life than that.